Thank you for listening to this week's Freedom Church podcast. We hope it helps and inspires you. Well, hey everyone, and welcome to the final part, the final part of Flourishing in Isolation. I need to say at the very beginning, a huge thank you to the team behind the scenes who make all this possible. To Aaron, who does all the technical side of things, and for Levi, who's been behind the cameras almost every single week. So grateful for all the guys have done to make this a possibility. And if you appreciate what they've done, please let them know. I'm sure they'd love to hear from you. We are still exploring, yes, into the final, we're still exploring these incredible prison letters. Four books of the Bible written by Paul while he was in prison, while he was under house arrest. We've already studied Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and this week we're going to cover uh, Paul's shortest letter in the Bible. It's the letter or the book of Philemon. It only takes up one page in my Bible. That's all we've got to go with today. But my If you've been joining us every single week and if you've been participating in this flourishing in isolation, you deserve a medal. Thank you so much for joining with us, for being part of this experience. We didn't know when we started how many weeks we would find ourselves in this situation and the benefits of being together of studying God's word. My prayer is that you have really benefited from this experience, from the various books that we have explored from the Bible and you are truly flourishing in isolation. It has been, hasn't it, the strangest of times. It's it's been strange for each one of us, different to all of us we've ever known before, but it's been more important than ever to get hold of the Word of God, something which is concrete, something which is reliable, something which the ups and downs of life, thousands of years have told us this book is, is true and it is useful for every situation. And we're so glad we serve a God who's consistent when the world around us is just out of control, up and down. We're never quite sure what the next day might hold. So, and I'm believing today and this final session is going to be a significant one. Because if we can get hold of some of the truth in Philemon, we're going to be able to benefit from it. And we're going to be able to flourish more fully in our relationships. But before we go forward, let's just look back for a moment. Last time we met, we were learning about uh, how we could flourish in isolation through the book of Colossians, the last chapter, Colossians 4. And we learned that people really matter. It sets up so so well for this week. Uh, The people really matter. How we treat people is so important. It is always about other people. It is never about ourselves, what we want. It's always about other people and what we can do for them. We talked last week about devoting our lives to being a life that prays for others, somebody that prays for other people, to write a list if we need to do that. Uh, The people that provide for others through hospitality. We care for others. We give to others. We do the best for others. That we praise one another, that we look to build one another up, to encourage them, to speak highly of them. And then last, we talked about passing on to others. The discipleship, that the story of following Jesus is our responsibility is to tell other people about Jesus. And so that disciples make disciples that make disciples. And you and I are here today because somebody told us, because somebody told them, because somebody told them the great news of Jesus Christ. So you ready? Last time, open your Bibles. And good luck trying to find Philemon. It's a tricky one. Uh, it's Philemon, it comes just after Timothy and Titus, and it is before the book of Hebrews. It is one page, and you are likely to miss it if you flick through your Bible. Uh, but do take a moment, get hold of Philemon. We'll read it through together. But don't let the size 
for you. It's an explosive book that has so much to teach us. It would have been outrageous at the time in the, in the culture that Paul was writing into. So just to give a little bit of the story here, uh, Philemon, who's receiving the letter from Paul, Philemon is a wealthy businessman. He is a Roman citizen from the, the city of Colossae, and uh, he's probably met Paul, we think, in his mission to Ephesus, where he became a follower of Jesus. And then Philemon uh, met Epaphras, who started a church, and Philemon joined him and also became a leader of that church, which met in the home of Philemon. Remember, Philemon was a wealthy man, a businessman, and he had this large house, and they gathered in it. Philemon, like all Roman men of great standing, had slaves. He owned people. He had these slaves. And one of the slaves, which we talked about last week in the book of Colossians, was a man called Onesimus. Onesimus the slave. And somehow he wronged his boss, Philemon. We don't know how he did it. Some of this is covered in the previous book we talked about, but maybe it was a theft. Uh, maybe he cheated on him. Uh, or maybe he forgot to put the sugar in his cup of tea in the morning. I don't know what happened. We don't know exactly. But for whatever reason, Onesimus ran away, which is a potentially a punishment that he could be forced into even a death or some sort of crime or put into prison by Philemon. But instead, Onesimus ended up meeting Paul in prison and becoming a follower of Jesus Christ. And he started to assist Paul, to come alongside Paul. And so then Paul pens this letter. He finds himself in this awkward place, having to write a difficult letter to his friend Philemon, a sensitive letter. And the style of his letters we're gonna see in a moment was direct. It was also dealing with a significant social problem of the Roman Empire at that time, one of slavery. He was not only going to ask Philemon, this patriarch of the household, who was a wealthy businessman with great status, to forgive Onesimus, but he was also asking him to take his servant back and to embrace him as a brother, to, to recognise he was one in Christ and no longer a slave. This is a big challenge. And then, and then I know we haven't quite started yet, but get this, Paul, right, he writes this letter, this careful, awkward letter, and then he gives it to Onesimus and says, you need to carry this letter back to Colossae and give it to your formal boss, former boss, you know, the one that might kill you or put you in prison. And in the letter, he's writes to urge Philemon to forgive Onesimus, who actually is the one that's carrying the letter. Imagine that. What a moment. And so Paul was certainly challenging the status of the day, the culture of the day, slavery and imprisonment and punishment. Uh, but he was trying to uphold a different set of values we'll explore about the way of Jesus. That is freedom, love and forgiveness. So I don't know if you ever had this sort of experience of writing a difficult letter or writing a difficult email, probably more accurately. The ones you have sleepless nights about and you think, I won't send it till I just give it a bit more thought or you get a spouse to check it through or you rewrite it a dozen times or you press play or press send once you've prayed over it before you send it. I know I've had that feeling. Maybe you've been that place before where you just feel like, oh, how do I say this in the right manner? Well, this is how Paul did it thousands of years ago. He wrote this letter to Philemon and it says this in verse one. This letter is from Paul, a prisoner for preaching the good news about Christ Jesus and from our brother, Timothy. 
I'm writing to Philemon, our beloved co-worker, and to our sister Apiphia and our fellow soldiers Archippus and to the church that meets in your house. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. This is a standard opening to a letter. It's just the starting point. It's the what he was probably taught to do in school. He's saying, who is it from, i.e. Paul and Timothy? And who is it to Philemon, Apiphia and Archippus? I think I've said those right. If not, I'm very sorry to those people involved. Uh, but And here he's just writing to them. And he's, he's writing to them, recognising the church that meets in your home. It's a lovely image if you think about it, especially where we are today, that churches are now almost meeting in homes. You're meeting in your home. I'm meeting in my home. It was natural to gather and pray at the early church in people's homes, to read the word of God, to eat together, to serve the needs of the poor and the widows and the orphans around you. And often you would meet in the home of a wealthy individual because they would have the largest house, uh, typically, and they would have the resources to help others in need. They were able to supply and support those in need. And throughout scripture uh, in the New Testament, you'll find reference to these homes that had churches and these wealthy business people that served the start of the early church. Some of those house churches or home churches would be up to 200 people in size. They would be quite substantial, maybe more like hubs of communities. Uh, and, and this method of meeting actually lasted for some 300 years until Emperor Constantine made it legal for people to build their own church buildings. Up to that point, it was illegal. Christianity wasn't recognised as this secret uh, club called The Way until Emperor Constantine came along and said, no, uh, let's make Christianity a really important part of our culture. So that's the first few verses, just introductions and explanations about where they meet. And then Paul carries on writing to Philemon and says these words, I always thank my God when I pray for you, Philemon, because I keep hearing about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all of God's people. And I'm praying that you will put into action the generosity that comes from your faith as you understand and experience all the good things we have in Christ. Your love has given me such joy and comfort, my brother, for your kindness has often refreshed the hearts of God's people. Paul is starting here with a prayer of praise and thanksgiving for Philemon. He, I'm not suggesting it'd be a terrible slight on Paul to say he is kind of buttering him up or preparing him in some way, but he is definitely setting him up for what's to come. He's definitely outlining his thanksgiving and his praise. He's thanking him for his faith in Jesus. He's thanking him for his love for God's people. And he's praying he'll put into action the generosity that comes from your faith. He's a generous person and he's used his wealth in good ways. He's recognising that. And he's understood, as you understand, experience everything you have in Christ, you know, he's reminding him of the kindness he has for others. He's had a huge impact on God's people and brought needy refreshment to others. In different versions of the Bible, I'm using the NLT, in different versions of the Bible, um, that word is often uh, tra translated in verse 6 to uh, partnership. The word there is koinona, this sharing or fellowship or mutual participation, partnership, koinona. It's a really important word in the early church as they work together to serve the needs of the community around them. When two or more people receive something together and share it, they become partners, equal partners. 
And Paul is saying here that all followers of Jesus are equal partners as we share in this gift of God's love and grace. He's putting out there, we're in partnership, you and me, Philemon. You're in partnership with I, I'm in partnership with Onesimus, and together we're in a partnership. So for Paul, this experience of koinona is not just an idea to be considered or thought about, like a a concept, but it's something that you do. It's something you put into action. You don't just think, oh yes, that's a nice idea to have fellowship, to be in partnership. It's no, it's something you put into action. It's deliberate, intentional. So after saying that, Paul is setting up, up this letter here for the big ask. He's saying, if you want to be in partnership, if you want to be in fellowship, if you want to be one, if you want to be equal, if you want the church to be in good relationship with one another, to have that koinonia, then this is what is the big ask. And Paul says this in verse eight. This is why I'm boldly asking a favour for you. I could demand it in the name of Christ because it's the right thing for you to do. But because of our love, I prefer simply to ask you. Consider this as a request from me, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner for the sake of Christ Jesus. I see that stop there for a moment. This is an important point. Paul could demand this response from Philemon in the name of Christ Jesus. But that could be perceived as spiritual manipulation. But he's saying because there's an existing relationship, we're friends. We've, we've had this history. We've got this backstory. We've hung out together. We've, we've had meals together. He's simply making a request, friend to friend. He's not trying to turn this into a spiritual uh, motivated or misusing of a prophetic word and thus saith the Lord, commanding him. He's just saying to him, we're friends. Can I ask you as a friend to a friend to consider my request? So then in verse 10, he says these words, I appeal to you to show kindness to my child Onesimus. I became his father in the faith while here in prison. Onesimus hasn't been of much use to you in the past, but now he is very useful to both of us. I am sending him back to you and with him comes my own heart. That's almost like poetry. It's beautiful. He's saying Onesimus is like a son. It means he's a follower. I led him to Christ. There's a sort of father-son relationship. He's my son in the faith that I have led him, I have mentored him, I have shaped him. And he's now saying as well, he's part of our family, Philemon, that just as I led you to Christ, I've now led Onesimus to Christ. And although you're the boss and he's the slave, I'm saying we are all in Christ, that there is not a different level of relationship. There is a responsibility in those relationships to work it out, to make good on that relationship where there's gone quiet, where there's been nothing said, where he's run away and he's not having conversations, where he's left the home and he's disappeared, there's been a disconnect. Here is an opportunity to bring that back into play. We all good so far? This is some great stuff going on here. Okay, so verse 13 says these words. I wanted to keep him here with me. This is Paul writing. I wanted to keep him here with me while I'm in these chains for preaching the good news. And he would have helped me on your behalf. But I didn't want to do anything without your consent. I wanted you to help because you are willing, you are willing, not because you are forced. And what is Paul is saying there, he's saying, you know, he's saying to Philemon, he said, I don't want to force you into this. I want you to do it because you want to do it. 
I, I want you to want to make the right decision here, to welcome an isthmus as you know you should, not because you feel forced, because I've, I've persuaded you to do it. And Paul is saying he, he wants to keep Onesimus for longer because he's useful, he's helpful, but he also knows there's an unresolved issue in their relationship. That as he's got to know Onesimus and he got talking with him and he realised we both know this guy, Philemon, there's this elephant in the room that no one is talking about. There's this unsaid thing, there's this awkwardness and we realise that needs to be resolved. We've got to do something about this that this relationship between Philemon and Onesimus has broken down and Paul wants to address it and not just let the issue fester or to roll on without facing up to it. He wants to deal with the issue in hand. Have you ever had that experience where there's been a breakdown in a relationship? Of course you can carry on and you can ignore and you can cut that person out of your life, but you know that there's an issue to be addressed. Maybe there's more than one relationship that's been like that. Maybe there have been a history of people that have let you down, who have disappointed you, and you've ended up breaking off relationships. Maybe it's with a work colleague, a spouse, a friend, a sibling, a parent, or maybe even with your own children. These issues can be left to one side. It doesn't really matter. I don't really talk to them very much. I've moved on. But actually, we know deep within ourselves there is a broken relationship and it's affecting everything about us. That moment when you find yourself having imaginary conversations about your boss before you go into work every single day, when you're toiling in your head and in your sleep about the things you wish you could say, but you never quite dare to say, and you leave it unsaid. They're unhelpful. Living in conflict, living in broken relationships, they are unhelpful and unhealthy. And my pastoral advice to you would be don't let it fester. Don't let it leave, uh, lie there damaged and, 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 and wounded that will actually cause greater damage the longer it's left. Get some healing and get a, 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 the relationship restored as soon as possible. It will affect you. It will affect you spiritually, mentally and physically. It will physically affect you when you're in broken and damaged relationships. It doesn't just hurt you emotionally. It'll hurt you spiritually. It'll affect your desire to read scripture. It'll affect your desire to be with other Christians if there is a breakdown of a relationship. Love, humility, forgiveness always create freedom in restoring and refreshing healthy relationships. So Paul is setting this up here and he's saying, come on, come on Philemon. You've got this breakdown of relationship. What can we do about this? And then here comes the big request in verse 15 and 16. It seems, he says, you lost Onesimus for a while so that you could have him back forever. He is no longer like a slave to you. He is more than a slave for he is a beloved brother, especially to me. Now he will mean much more to you, both as a man and as a brother in the Lord. Now, now this is huge. So it's one thing going, there's a broken relationship, you need to fix this. There's one thing saying actually two people who are friends are no longer friends or two people in a marriage who are having difficulties need to be, um, I, I hopefully you could hear what I just said there. there are two friends maybe are broken up and actually need to get back together like an equal friendship has got broken. Or maybe a husband and wife who are, aren't seeing eye to eye and to get that back on track. This is even bigger in some ways because culturally, culturally, this is a massive, massive shift. Culturally, they've been apart, but the relationship was slave and master. 
slave and master. One ruled over the other. It was not an equal relationship. And it wasn't just the way they designed that to be. That was the culture they were part of. This is a huge ask, more than just a relationship between Christian brothers. This is counter-cultural of the day. The Roman culture with slaves had no uh, human rights. They were things, they were possessions, they were owned by the boss. You owned them like you would own a house or a car or a lawnmower. They were useful tools to your needs. And that was the culture of the day. And if they wronged you, you had every right to get rid of them, to put them in prison or to get them put to death. And Paul is asking Philemon here to go to a whole another level, to show humility, to show forgiveness and to recognise that he and this former slave are equals. They're one in Christ to go from slave and master to become members of the same family, which goes completely against the system. This is huge. Can you understand what Paul is writing here? He is saying to Philemon, remember we're brothers in Christ and your slave is now a brother in Christ and I'm I'm imploring you, forgive him, welcome him back, not just as your slave, but as your equal. That's a lot for anyone to be asked. And then verse 17, and, and Paul, I think is quite clever here with his use of language. He says this in verse 17, So he says, if you consider me to be your partner, welcome him, Onesimus, as you would welcome me. If he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. And here it's in capital letters in my Bible. I will repay it. And I won't mention that you owe me your very soul. A little bit of a cheeky line there at the end there, probably written with a bit of a wink, maybe. But Paul does this great move. He's referring to the same word we mentioned at the very beginning. We mentioned the opening of this letter to Philemon, this word koinonia, this partnership. And he's bringing it back in again. He's saying, if you consider me to be a partner, if you and I are in relationship, if we are friends, if we are equals, if we are one and fellowshipping as one under Christ, then could you welcome Onesimus as if you would welcome me? If you want to be in koinonia with me, you need to be a koinonia with them. We need to all be one. The church is meant to be one. There aren't different levels of relationship. We're in fellowship together under the headship of Jesus Christ. And he's going, if you're out of pocket, let me know. If you're out of, you know, if he owes you something, let me know. I'll repay whatever he owes you. Now, here's the powerful thing. The book of Philemon is the only letter that Paul writes that doesn't talk about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It doesn't talk about the gospel message. But in these last few verses, Paul is enacting the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ himself. He is he is putting himself in the place of Jesus as a very practical example of the cross. He, he's saying to Philemon, you've been wronged by Onesimus. Onesimus has made mistakes. He's got things wrong. He deserves to be punished. You have been wronged. 
You have been let down. He has deceived you. He has run away from you. There has been a breakdown in a relationship between Onesimus and Philemon. And Paul stands in the middle and he's saying to Philemon, would you forgive him that's done you wrong? And I will stand in the gap and I will say to you, I will take on the payment, the cost, the consequences of the errors of, of, of Onesimus. It's, can you see what he's doing there? He's actually taking the place of Jesus and he's saying, I want you two to be in a right relationship. And I'm happy to be the middleman and to say to you, I'll pay whatever you're out of pocket. I'll cover those costs. I'll take the place of Onesimus at this point. That's an amazing presentation of the gospel right there. Philemon, be re renewed in your rest restored in your relationship with Onesimus and I will help you in that process. But it's more and this is the gospel message still. It's more than just a transaction. You know, we're not just here because Jesus paid our way on the cross to be with God, the Father in heaven. Jesus didn't just say, I'll tell you what, I'll do a transactional deal. I'll say, Sim, you've made mistakes, but don't worry, I'll fix those mistakes so you can be in a relationship with my Father God. And my cross, where I take on all your sins and all your errors and all your mistakes and your, your terrible things you've done, and I, I, I clean them all off so you can have a relationship with my Father God. It's not just a transaction where now I step back and you two can be friends. It's so much more than that. The gospel message is a new way of living. It's a way of living as equals, as brothers in Christ. He's not just saying, I want you to be in a relationship with God and permanently in heaven and Onesimus. I want you in a relationship with Philemon and saying to the world, I want you to be in a relationship with Father God and Jesus stands in the gap. He's saying it's more than that. It's more than that. It's, it's saying we live as one equal body of Christ with one another. That there are no more positional relationships. We don't do masters and slaves. We don't do people who have more and people who have less. We don't do Greeks or Gentiles, as Paul wrote in Colossians 3. There's no Greeks, there's no Gentiles, there's no um, slaves or they're free. We are all one in Christ. That's the story. That's the story. We can be renewed in our relationship with Father God like Onesimus and Philemon, and then we can live a different way. We get to live a different life. This is an amazing book. I love the way this is reading through. I hope this is helpful to you. And then he finishes the last few verses, which really is just bringing things to an end. He says this, uh, yes, Philemon, my brother, please do this favor for the Lord's sake. Give me this encouragement in Christ. I am confident as I write this letter that you will do what I ask and even more. One more thing, please prepare a guest room for me. I'm hoping that God will answer your prayers and let me return to you soon. And then it says Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus sends you his greetings. So does Mark, Aristarchus, Demas and Luke, my co-workers. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. And he ends his letter to Philemon. Paul is saying that I am confident that you can do this. I am confident, Philemon, you will make the right decision. You'll make the right choice and probably you'll do more than I ask. I, I, have, every, I have every trust in you, in your good uh, love of God, and your love of mankind, that you will see Onesimus as your brother, not as a returning slave that's made a mistake. He is appealing to his good nature and desire to do right. What a letter. What a beautiful, powerful letter. 
so much we can learn there about restored relationships, about the message of the cross through Jesus Christ, that we have a restored relationship between our Father God and ourselves. Such a good letter. We're going to bring things to an end of this book and of this series. But as we wrap up, what can we learn from the book of Philemon or the letter of Philemon? It seems a bit grand to call it a book when it's only one side of a piece of paper. Uh, But how will it help us flourish in isolation? I believe that if you want to flourish when you're in isolation, we need to be in good relationships with people, relationships with each other. We need to get our relationships right. This letter Philemon offers us a way of doing that. His letter is like a, almost like a running order of here's the things you should put into place. Firstly, if you're in a broken relationship or a damaged relationship or a relationship where things are not as they should be, start to pray for the other person. Start to name them and speak out over them, to thank God for that person. That's what um, Paul was doing in verse four. He thanked God for Philemon. Pray for that person. Pray for them. Pray for their well-being. Pray a, a blessing upon them. And, and, then, and then carry on praying and speak love over them. In verse seven, he talks about you know, bringing great joy. Remember the good times of that person in the relationship you used to have. Go back to where there was a good, restored relationship. Remember that and speak out the good things about that friendship. Speak love, speak blessing, celebrate what that relationship looked like, how it used to be, to love them as a friend, he says in verse nine, to express that to them, to find a way of saying, I think you're fantastic. I celebrate you. I celebrate what you bring. I celebrate the friendship we had, the relationship we had. So start by praying for them and then speaking love over them to then to, to, to speak the best of them. You know, when we, when we go in with a negative attitude into conversations, they often spiral out of control. To go into a conversation where there is, an, there is a damaged relationship with, with love and with expectation of a good outcome. But there does come a point, and, and he does this Philemon. He, he prays for, um, sorry, Paul. He does this for Philemon. He prays for him. He celebrates and professes love and friendship for him but then he challenges him. And we do need to challenge our friendships. Sometimes friendships falter because we don't challenge the bad behavior, maybe when we should. We let things go. We let things go and we let things slide. And here in this letter, uh, Paul challenges Philemon. He challenges what he might do and suggests an alternative. He has a frank and honest and direct conversation. And he asks him, he suggests to him a different form of action. He doesn't manipulate them spiritually. He just says, friend to friend, can I suggest to you, this is a better way of doing things. And then lastly, and I think this is so important, Paul is generous to Philemon. He expects the best of him. I think you're going to do this and you're going to go some more. You know what? You're not just going to make it right. You're going to make it right again. You're going to go beyond what anyone else would expect you to do and to be generous, to be humble, to go into a conversation with a a friend where things are broken down, maybe it's a spouse, maybe it's a work colleague, maybe it's a member of your family, to sit with them, to be generous, to be kind, to be loving, to be humble, to think less, to think of yourself less, and to think of the other person more. It's so important that we, we hold these fragile relationships well and to bring restoration, which often means that you are the one that has to go first 
to make the first move, to be humble, to be loving, to be kind, to be generous. There is so much to learn here, so much. It's so difficult to put these things into action, but I would encourage you today to put your relationships right, even if it hurts. If you want to flourish in isolation, I want to say to you, get your relationships back on track. You might have to swallow your pride. It will only hurt you in the long term if you don't. Get it back, get it right. This letter to Philemon is a story of reconciliation, of equality as family members with Christ, that forgiveness brings true freedom. Let me pray for us, and then I'll make some final comments about this series. Father God, thank you for all those listening and watching today. I pray that we would all be challenged in the relationships that we have. Lord, may we uh, perceive and may we sense from your spirit what we need to do next. Lord, we find different ways to bring reconciliation through prayer, through kind words, through love, through honest conversation, through humility and generosity. May we think better of the other. May we see one another as equals as brothers and sisters in Christ rather than hierarchy, that we all come under you, our Father God. And I want to pray at the end of this to say, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with each one of you, with your spirit. Amen. Amen. So as we bring this whole series together, these prison epistles, this flourishing in isolation, I just want to say this final thought to you, that's okay, that Paul as a prisoner himself, he understood the power of the gospel in overcoming the barriers, the cultural barriers of the day. He didn't defend slavery. He didn't attack it either. Paul spoke to the power of forgiveness and the impact of grace. Both those things have life-changing effects on societies and individuals today. Forgiveness and grace will transform your life, other people's lives, and those around you. And this letter to Philemon we've studied today demonstrates this, as does all the prison epistles, that a Christian's place in the kingdom of God is not determined by their physical circumstances. It's determined by the fact they are a child of God and we need to live our lives as his children, to live it out every day as children of the light. In many of his letters, Paul refers to himself as a prisoner of Christ, a position that he willingly embraces. We might be in lockdown this season. We may be isolated. We may be limited in what we can do. But never forget that like Paul, you carry the authority of Jesus Christ. You can minister to those who God calls you to right now, wherever you find yourself. Whether you're in, whether in person, whether doing it in your home, having people around to your garden, you can do it on email, on Zoom, or even you could write a letter. You get the ability to minister to people. Paul did, and we're benefiting from his ministry thousands of years later because he put a pen to paper or probably got a scribe to do that, and other people benefit. You can minister. You can be purposeful and profound and use your writings and your thoughts and your words like Paul did to help other people. Paul's writings are still helping the church all this time later. Remember, your ministry, the work of the Spirit through you, has a purpose. That God has called you not to just exist in this world, but to be a change agent, to give your energy, your resources, your time, your life, to the purposes of God for such a time as this.
This is what we're made to do, to bring change whatever the circumstances we face day by day. Can I just say thank you so much for joining us for this teaching series. May you know God's with you as you move forward in all that he has ahead for you. And may you flourish every day and know that you are never in isolation. God bless you. For more information about Freedom Church, please go to www.freedomchurch.uk. Thank you for listening.